Hello and welcome to the Nationals Business Podcast. I'm Andy Scott. Today we'll be talking about Samsung pulling its Note 7, its flagship mobile phone off the shelves. We'll be looking at the retail environment, which was flourishing for the last decade and is now seemingly coming under some heavy weather. And we'll be finishing talking about Expo 2020. Yes, the goose that laid the golden egg. We'll see what is in store for the Emirate of Dubai. First, let's talk to our tech correspondent, John Everington, all about Samsung Note 7. What went on there, John? Hi there, Andy. It's been quite a few months for Samsung. Um, two months ago in August, um, you had the sort of the launch of the Note 7, very popular handset, flagship device, costing about 3,000 dirhams, real competitor to the iPhone in the market. Everything was going well. The reviews were great. Uh, the sales were very good. But then, of course, one small problem, the devices started catching fire and causing injury. Um, Samsung did a recall of the handsets September. 2.5 million handsets were recalled by Samsung. They gave users new replacement handsets, which had proven batteries, which wouldn't catch on fire. But the problem was that they kept on ca catching on fire. You had an aircraft which was evacuated in the States because one of these seemingly safe new Note 7s was emitting smoke. So finally, yesterday, on Tuesday, Samsung decided that it had to pull the plug. It stopped production completely, and it's withdrawn the handset from sale. Wow, that sounds uh, harrowing for if you're on that plane. Uh... <laughs> What is Samsung going to do? I mean, I've seen that the, that the shares took a battering on Tuesday. There's estimates of a $5 billion loss because of it. Where does the company go from here? It's a question, isn't it? It's going to be a real hit for Samsung. Um, the analysts have already talked about it costing billions um, of dollars to actually do an effective recall, doing the recall itself. And then, of course, you've got to factor in the loss of sales uh, um, of the handset. This was going to be a big seller for Samsung. The retailers here were saying it was actually a really popular phone selling better than the one that came the year before. So it's going to be a big hit. And Samsung have already said that um, their earnings for the third quarter are going to be um, re much reduced as a result of this. So it's a question about whether this is going to impact Samsung's wider brand, whether that's going to affect uh, the sales of handsets like the S7 Edge and the S7 and whether um, all the sort of handsets are going to be tarnished by the same brush. It's a little bit uncertain at the moment. Some of the retailers here are saying, well, even, like, even when the Note 7 was having its problems, it was still selling really, really well in Jitex Shopper last week in Dubai, and it's still a very, very popular brand. So on the one hand, it's going to be a big like, short-term hit for Samsung, but on the other hand, the retailers that we've spoken to, they're saying that Samsung phones are still very, very popular. We've also spoken to some Samsung diehard fans who are saying, okay, it's a safety issue, but I'm still going to stick with the brand for the moment. I'm still going to buy Samsung phones. So maybe a short-term impact, but maybe not so bad over the long term. Although, and this is the last question there, but there seems to be uh, one of these effects, a snowball effect almost, that I've just read, and literally just before I came on air, that Samsung washing machines are exploding now. <laughs> I think, well, you've got two different issues here. I mean, Samsung machi washing machines, you've seen one or two instances, but they're not going to be due to a battery. It's probably due to the faulty wiring behind there. So there may be an issue to look at. You're probably going to not be looking at a big recall like you have um, with the Note 7. But Samsung, Samsung don't want to be known as the company that starts fires. It's true, yeah. So 
we'll see what happens with the washing machines. They haven't done a mass recall yet. One or two instances, thankfully not a sort of a mass, um, a mass phenomenon like the Note 7, but watch this space. Thanks a lot, John. Thank you. And now I'm joined by the business editor of The National, Mustafa Al-Rawi. What do you think about that? I'm going to reserve judgment on how bad this really is. I think because it happens so quickly over several days and these reports escalate, we can't actually be sure why these phones are catching fire. Um, how do we know people aren't sticking them in microwaves and then claiming that you know that it's the battery? Uh, some, some of it is media-driven. As soon as we get hold of a story, we tend to make it bigger than it is. Samsung should be applauded for two things. One, they actually reacted quite quickly. If you think of companies in similar positions with other kind of faulty products, they, they issued a 2.5 million unit recall uh, when the problem first started, which was pretty decisive. And they said, you know, we'll replace it for you. Uh, they got a lot of criticism because they didn't do the same in China, but they said that there isn't the problem there. Uh, but now they've been forced anyway to stop production, stop sales everywhere in the world. Uh, so some of this has snowballed beyond their control, probably beyond the actual size of the problem. But we won't know for some time. And by the time the facts are clear, no one will care. So the damage will be done to the brand and they'll have to rebuild it no matter what the reality is. And one can presume that um, the elephants in the room called Apple are going to be making a well. This is, well, this. this is the second thing that they've done well. They haven't panicked. You know, they, they know that they've got very successful products elsewhere, both in the smartphone market and, um, you know, in, in other, other kind of electronic products that people are buying. I mean, John, who was just in here, uh, did a fantastic review on one of their super UHD TVs. He said it was fantastic. So no one's going to stop buying Samsung products overnight, no matter what you're saying about washing machines. No, but 50% of Samsung's uh, revenues are through electronics and half of their electronics is through their mobiles. So it's a significant chunk. Yeah, but the Note 7, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually quoting one of John's stories here, so this isn't me, but um, the Note 7 wasn't the biggest seller of all their phones. And in fact, it, it's a big one that when it first came out, it was alone in the market. But since then, phones have been getting bigger and bigger. So it, didn't qu it hasn't quite got the, the, the kind of cachet that it had a few years ago. So if you're going to lose any one of the phones... Um, and I'm saying this, not from John's story, perhaps this is the one you're going to lose. Fair enough, fair enough. Let's move on. Let's, uh, yesterday, I was at the World Retail Congress here in Dubai, um, and I came away feeling shaken, if not stirred, I would say, by the fact that a lot of the, uh, the uh, very high-profile brands and brand ambassadors were there, and very few had positive signs of the over the next 18 months of how retail would be functioning. Uh, Bain uh, gave the, the keynote speech, sorry, the uh, Cyril Farber from Bain gave the keynote speech. And in it, he, he cited central bank data that said for the first time in, I think, 15 years, um, ATM withdraw withdrawals had fallen in the UAE, 5%. He said that is the sign that, Disposable income is on the wane, which, of course, retail is the first to be hit. It is a, a I would say, a, if, it, if it's not a dark cloud at the moment, it is definitely there are clouds which are threatening. I, I've been noticing in, in your coverage of the retail sector for the last year, it's, it's just, it turned decidedly bearish. And, and the comments that are coming out of you know, senior retail executives have been that you know, things have softened and growth rates aren't what, what, once what they were. Uh, there's, two, I think there's two aspects to this. The first is retail is an extension of property. 
in the UAE and particularly in Dubai. Essentially, it's it's a it's a backward play on the property market uh, as developments are you know spring up. So do so do retail uh, outlets, whether they're malls or community or whatever it might be. Population grows. People need more places to live. People need more places to shop. However, this is also to some extent been created by the retail sector itself. Um, they've allowed the retail sector to be quite homogenous. So every mall, every even neighborhood center has pretty much the same brands. So there is very little in the value chain there to support things when, as you say, consumer spending dips. I still need to buy things, but unlike in, say, the grocery segment where I'll shop at Carrefour rather than Waitrose if I've got less money in my pocket, there's actually nowhere to go. Um, you know, unless I'm driving all the way to the outlet mall, which is almost a misnomer here in terms of, you know, how much cheaper it's going to be. So, you know, they've only allowed us to have a certain segment of, say, in fashion, all the brands that are out there. And so where am I going to go when I want something a little bit cheaper? There aren't the sort of, you know, standalone brands that are selling things lo at lower cost than that, or there isn't sort of the, the much, much larger brands. There's no Walmart, Target, these kind of places that I can go and buy whatever, a really cheap pair of underwear uh, that, that that I necessarily need. So we have been constrained a little bit by the lack of variety. So I'd like to think that this softening of the retail sector means that maybe we might see broader variety of shops coming in. Well, I, I mean, while it was mentioned that value and mid-market uh, brands were doing actually slightly better, luxury is, uh, we all, well, for anyone who lives in the UAE, understands that luxury is not what it once was. Uh, uh, Shaloub Group said that they hoped to make 2% last year. Uh, they weren't there yesterday, so I couldn't tell you whether they did or they didn't. However, um, what, what was the elephant in the room was the fact that Nakheel, uh, who already have Ibn Battuta, a huge mall, Dragon Mart 1, a massive mall, Dragon Mart 2, an even bigger mall, uh, at least six or seven community malls, they will have four times the amount of space that they have now in three years, just retail space. I don't believe we have the population, nor the tourist numbers, nor the, the need for that amount of retail space. You've got to build out capacity, though. They, they, we can't wait. I think a lot of the mistakes that happen when it comes to economic growth in developed markets is people wait for... Uh, you know, times to be good or demand to come and then they build. And then by the time they finish building, they've missed the cycle. I mean, there's an argument to say that, look, we know that the, the UAE is growing, it's developing. We know the population is going to be going up, maybe growth rates uh, rise and fall within that. But if we believe in this country and we believe in the future of where it's going, then we've got to build out this capacity. The one thing Dubai did that you have to applaud is in the depths of the financial crisis, for example, they never stopped building infrastructure, roads, bridges, whatever needed to come. So when population bounced back, they were able to cope with it. But if they'd said, fine, we're going to stop building the necessary infrastructure, the, the arteries, the lifeblood that you need. So, okay, a mall may sound like a mall. But in reality, if the population does go up and people do move in to live in all these communities, they need the retail. They need it. Maybe the retailers will suffer in the meantime. But well, what's worse? Right? I'm glad you say that because what was one of the things that was mentioned, and as I, I mentioned at the top of the show, Expo 2020. It was the one saving grace of the whole conference yesterday. People saw it as a real uh, 
positive, something to look forward to. They believe that it will drive visitor numbers. It will drive population growth. It will bring in more workers, more uh, industry. And we were looking at, I've just been reading Frank Kane's uh, piece today. Uh, he spoke to the CEO of Dubai Expo. He also COO. COO, sorry, COO. Uh, and he ran uh, London 2012 and he did Baku, the European Games in Baku. This guy knows how to put on an event. And he seems to think that the Expo is going to be a combination of the Olympics and the World Cup put together. It is going to have that sort of pull. I wait to see, but I mean, I really do believe it, it does seem as though industry um, uh, highlights in the, in the industry believe that it will be something to look forward to. 25 million visitors to Expo is, is the number that was mentioned in Frank's interview. And, you know, that's a that's a pretty big number. I think 60% of those will be non-UAE based. So a certain number will be mul- multiple visits by the same people based in the UAE. And let's say, you know, 12 million people come just for Expo. That's a big number. However, to be realistic, if you look at events like the World Cup and the Olympics, the it's a marginal growth on the overall number of tourists in that year. It tends to be that whatever, football, sport tourists replace the tourists that would have come otherwise. However, those are in established markets typically that have huge numbers of visitors. The UAE is growing. It's coming from a lower base. Probably it will see the big bump. We're doing 25 million that year probably more in dubai probably more if you count in abu dhabi what they're doing with tourism russell hamer as well charge no one's sitting still so let's say conservatively we probably expect 25 million that year yeah possibly i mean i, I again it all depends on the global economy i mean <laughs> it's, it, it really does i mean you know at the moment it, no one no one's betting on what oil will do uh, in, the, in, the, in that yeah. medium term. I mean, you know, if it hasn't recovered, then we can almost presume that most economies, economies are going to be sluggish. It's great when the things are going, uh, when all boats rise in a high tide. When it's a low tide, most boats sink. Well, yes, and there's nothing we can do about that. But again, it's, we, we don't really have a choice because we've kind of all banked on the UAE hitting all its targets, whether we say it's 2020, 2030, 2040, that it's going that way. So you can't kind of say, yeah, we believe in it, but then not back it up by making the investment. So there, of course there's risk. Of course there's, it's, you know, you're, you're, you're putting yourself out there, but that's been the whole experience up till now. Had, had they not done it in the UAE, nothing would have ever happened. We look around the region. There are some countries, I won't mention who they are, but who didn't put themselves out there trying to play catch up now you missed the opportunity well that's what i would say and we'll finish with this is that is the exactly it's a the legacy planning with it with the expo it really does seem as though dubai has thought about where the expo is and what that place will become it's not just going to become a ghost town full of empty theme parks and and uh, follies yeah well i was in turin i'll leave you with this story i was in turin two years ago and um i passed the expo building that I think was from the earlier than the 60s. And it was just a building. I mean, you're talking about a four square kilometer site in Dubai that's going to be the future home of not only residents and, and workers, but conferences and exhibitions and uh, warehouses and, and all kinds of stuff. I mean, we're talking about a completely different scale. This is a new kind of expo, if you like. Well, I think on that, I'll say ciao.